1: fan base in Lincoln. You live in Lincoln, Nebraska now. Describe what it's like to play for such a passionate fan base that
2: Nebraska brings. It's
0: the best. I mean, for any high school kids that any high school kids that are thinking about making that decision as to where to go, you'll never find a better fan base than the one standing behind <laughs> me right here.
3: Jason, thank you so much for the time. A legacy you've left
1: behind here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Don't forget one thing! We're Nebraska! Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Go
2: Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave,
1: Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers. And I'm Wes Honky.
2: Purdue officially began spring practice last Friday on February 19th, which proves that no one in West Lafayette owns a calendar. <laughs>
1: That's a good point, Unc. I never thought of that. Um, Also with Boomer.
0: Well, I'd like to give an early shout-out to uh, Nebraska transfer Luke McCaffrey, who made a wise choice to go to Louisville, thus saving himself a fortune in repurchasing red sweatshirts. So, good thinking, Luke.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Just turn those inside out. No problem. Um, Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Can't wait for you to join us on a little uh, trip. Back to the Future, where we talk a little bit about some of these old uh, Husker greats that uh, we all uh, love and hold near and dear to our hearts.
1: Absolutely, Mac. You know, I mean, uh, Honky, I posted an amazing photograph of you three at, (laughs) I believe, was SCOTUS' Enchantment Under the Sea Dance 1994 or so. I'm not quite for certain. And a honky boy, you were one good-looking young man there. Yeah, thanks. I don't know what happened.
2: Yeah, implying that I'm flying that not anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a tape dance. Uh, although we were using C D, so it feels a little more modern to me.
3: Yes,
1: absolutely. I, I, they still branded them as tape dances, though.
3: Ten feet behind us was a nun standing over our shoulders, making sure we don't play anything that had a. A parental advisory on the cover so the tape dances at scotus were off the chain man <laughs> <laughs> we only had
0: the one sign that was made in like 1984 maybe, so so. did you guys think
1: i blow out speakers or anything did you we, have any
0: yes we did i, I seem to recall we, did. we we did blow out the school speakers i don't re- remember if it was one of our techno songs or something else we managed to blow it out with but a good time was had by yeah. all till that happened
2: I did play Serious at it and cuz you know that was 94 95 so that's like the first year of Husker Vision and that was a big deal and I played it and, you know everyone knew it was me but uh yeah that's, <laughs> you know,
1: good times these are good memories guys That's right honky has been wearing his scarlet colored glasses for a long time folks <laughs> Talking about Back to the Future um there's been some lots of Back to the Future news out of the Husker program this week, right, Honky? We have uh, Jason Peter and Jay Foreman volunteering to be around the team. We had Ron Brown um, kind of officially, uh, um, you know, announced as being a, a senior offensive analyst. Your takes on the developments? You
2: know, I think it's Frost right now kind of tinkering with the staff that he has and adding any additions to it that he can, you know, without Breaking apart everything and starting from scratch, right? He didn't get rid of any coaches this offseason, which a lot of people, a lot of experts in the know all thought that there was going to be two or three guys gone. Well, that didn't happen. We're trying to build some consistency. I think that's what he's trying to do. And so you have all those coaches back. Let's move Ron Brown away from this player personnel kind of role and let's get him into a senior offensive analyst role where he actually can be involved in meetings and, and, you know, develop scheme and work with Ryan Held with the running backs, that kind of thing. He can do specific things like that, but he cannot coach on the field, as we've talked about in the past with what an analyst role is. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's a great role for him. And then when you talk about Foreman and Peter, you know, we're talking about bringing guys in as volunteer assistants, essentially. And Frost Jason's going to assist in the weight room and Foreman's going to assist Marcus Castro Walker, who took over the position that Ron Brown was in. And Foreman's going to help him with some player development. And so I, I think, you know, we always harken back to those years of the 90s. Well, here's a couple guys that were knee-deep in it with Frost uh, when you talk about Peter and Foreman. And these guys, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to, to help, you know, gain that one little inch, whatever it can we can do to, to get over the hump.
1: Yeah, you know, Mac. Jay Foreman uh, had an interesting uh, interview. I think Sippel might have did it. I can't remember any longer. I hear so much stuff. But, I mean, he talked about the weight room and what they've already been in there in this capacity the last couple of weeks, right? And a lot of, a lot of positive things
3: overall from his initial impressions of the team. I remember when Frost was hired, Peter was talking about whatever I can do to help, I will, I'll be there right away. So I'm like, you knew Peter was always gonna jump on board. Foreman, you know, he's been on sixteen twenty the zone in the morning. He's he's had his own podcast. He's on he's on a lot of the local podcast and radio shows and one thing I've always appreciated about him is he's is a very no nonsense kind of guy you're either doing good or you're doing poorly but he looks at it from a technical standpoint and how and this is why we're not filling here but at no point did he mention anything about wanting to coach or getting on there being asked for help so that one kind of surprised me but uh I think it's a I think it's a natural fit I know some people want to poo poo this whole you know, it's, they're from the nineties. We got to get out of the nineties thing, but I look at it more as like two guys that just really want to help the program that are local. Yes, they happen to be alumni. Yes, they happen to be from that era, but they, you know, they also had pro careers. One was a really high draft pick. One had a really long career and was productive. So it's not like they don't have something to offer these, these young guys who are looking, you know, some of them to go on that same track. So will that be the difference between? you know, a huge win and loss column. I don't know. It doesn't really matter though. You know, like they're just trying to help this team get better. And I'm all on board with that. And one of those uh, podcasts that you're talking about there, Mac,
2: that Foreman is involved with is one of our sister podcasts on the Herdette Network, uh, the straight up uh, breakdown that he does with Greg Smith of Hale Varsity.
1: Yep, that's absolutely right, Honk. Good call. You know, uh, Boomer, I mean, do you see any, um, I don't know, potential drawbacks to this or any other kind of like you know a volunteer help right i mean is it a chance that you know like doc brown we get stuck in the 50s or something
0: (laughs) well you hope not um if anything i guess programs like alabama have kind of shown the more analysts and people you seem to have involved it seems to work out for the best i mean it's just one less thing on a on the actual staff's plate that they might have to deal with if any more eyes don't seem to hurt. So I, it's there to help.
1: Yeah. To, to that point, Boomer, I mean, with, you know, Alabama having probably 30 analysts on staff and all that type of stuff. I mean like,
0: yeah, I think we're on staff technically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, these are just volunteers, right. And, and I mean, considering the potential, the value that you could get from bringing more analysts or, or, or folks in, I mean like, you know, hockey I mean, I could imagine there's other, other Huskers that have coaching experience or just simply NFL experience that could do this in the future. It could be an entire program, I suppose.
2: Sure. I mean, that's something about being a blue blood is you have this tradition of – players and and people in the past that care deeply about it. And you see it with other schools, Miami once every five or 10 years, when they fire somebody, Michael Irvin shows up out of the woodwork and he's there to, you know, be in the locker room and help out with players and recruit or something, you know, I mean, this isn't just something unique to us. Former players are passionate about this and they want to be a part of the program. And I think that, you know, when you're talking about Peter and Foreman, you're talking about guys that were drafted and played many years in the pros. So they're going to have the attention of these players for what they did after their years here, but they also care and, and really give a damn about this place. And I don't think that we can have too many people right now that care about this place involved with this program. There's enough negativity outside of those doors, but the positivity of what those guys can bring and the experience and the the knowledge that they have of this program, I think is key. And anything they can do that can rub off on these players, to me, is it's just a positive. And I want to piggyback off of something that Max said there, with Foreman, and I think it's a really important one because Foreman, to Max point, on every radio show and anything I've ever heard him say, he's not going to feed you a bunch of BS. He's not going to buy into a bunch of hype. He has seen it all. He's seen the best of teams. He's seen pro guys. So it's going to take a lot to impress him. But when he said, and these are quote, I don't want to say that was one of my biggest surprises, but you just assume that a team that's been struggling in the wind column, that they didn't work hard in the weight room because that's really where it starts. That's where you really get a landscape of the team. Are these guys late to workouts? Do they finish workouts? Are they not physically fit? Let me tell you something. They check every single box from how they look physically to how hard they work. The numbers they're putting up in the weight room, it's all there. I mean, Mac, I'm not trying to hype anything up, and I don't think he's trying to, but, I mean, I think he's shooting you straight, and that what that's telling you is that there is progress in the weight room, and that should ideally
3: lead to progress on the field. Ideally, yes, and you know I feel like aside from the wins, which are the biggest, you know I get it, but aside from that, everything else they're checking boxes and the weight room, nutrition, even the recruiting trail. I would argue. I know some people have a problem with that, but I mean they they are doing their best to turn this program around. So when you can get a guy like Jay Foreman in there, who you're not going to Buffalo, you're not gonna you're not going to fool this guy. He sees what they're putting up. He sees the work they're doing. That encourages me quite a bit, actually.
2: Yeah. Well, and Dave, that's the thing, is that we've talked at nauseum here about how, hey, we've had 12 losses, one score or less the last three years, second most of any school in the country. So we're close, right? But we have to somehow get over that, that hump. These are the little things. But what can we do to get over that hump? Jason Peter talked about how he thinks he had one penalty his entire career at Nebraska, and he called it a BS face mask against uh, uh, Colorado. But the point is there's a guy that had the right mentality to play football, but he wasn't reckless on the field with penalties. Well, if that guy can rub off, if something with him from a leadership standpoint can rub off on these players so that we stop getting targeting calls, so that we stop getting holding calls that take off points when we've scored. How many times have we had touchdowns and two-point conversions taken off the board, right?
3: Those are the things. But in fairness to the guys this year, there's no way Peter goes through his career playing the same way he does with the rules in place now and not <laughs> getting more penalties. Good point, I Matt. mean, those guys were torturous to quarterbacks <laughs> he would have, he would have had many 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 penalties <laughs> but i get what you're saying
2: they <laughs> would have just adjusted to the style right. of play yeah, come yeah. on <laughs> come on you can play you, you know indomitian sue right you know right. You, you can throw guys around and do it in a legal way
3: so Fair, okay maybe you can't grab
2: some of the things chad may probably that wouldn't happen today right because, you know. yeah plus all the camera angles they have nowadays <laughs> not good Texas A&M got to do that to uh, Ben Cotton that one time. and
1: like That's oh, right. Yep. Uh, I don't want, want to think about that game. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, in more of uh, an official capacity, we do have Ron Brown as a senior offensive analyst. I believe his focus is on running backs, mm-hmm. which we've talked about here before. It makes total sense. And it's a position that we could – I'd love to see some growth from these guys. I, we think we have – some potential talent there that could really produce in the field. We didn't see enough of it last year. Ryan Hill obviously spends you know a lot of his energy recruiting. He's just it's great to have one other voice in that room. I would think mm-hmm. another positive, right, honk.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, we're going to talk in a little bit about the top five running backs in the in Husker history, and some of the guys that we're going to be talking about were coached by Ron Brown. So if Ron Brown can be assisting in that room. While Ryan Held, who has the official title of running backs coach, if he's out there doing the recruiting coordinating piece, which is what his other job is, uh, and he does quite well at it, I mean, that's fine, too. I mean, again, Alabama's mastered how to utilize people in multiple roles, former head coaches that are analysts and all that stuff. Hey. If we're jumping on the train here, too, I mean, I know we've had analysts in the past, too, but I think we're really taking an interest in it by moving a guy like Ron Brown, by bringing in a guy like Bill Bush. I mean, that those are coaches, longtime coaches, that care about Nebraska, too, the same way that the Peters and Foremans do. They care about this place, and now they're going to be in a role where I think they can have a little more hands-on effect with what's going on on the field.
1: Frost is making a lot of subtle moves here in the offseason. They're not big moves, right? Yep. But um, there's a lot of tweaks going on, and you know, you're know, you kind of changing the recipe up a little bit, um, and and let's see if that turns out to be um,
3: the tweaks that were needed to, to get us to uh, a few more wins next year, right? Absolutely. You know, one of the things I think about, too, is what a fortunate position Nebraska is in, in that we have this pool of guys that we can pull from, to to be on the modern day coaching staff but that truly truly love the program i'm like there's no doubt where frost's uh, uh, loyalty is same with held and we're bringing in more guys that yes they harken back to a winning time but they also have a deep deep love for their school for the program And a lot of schools don't have that luxury. They have coaching staffs on that they hired for, you know, good reasons. But it's like the more guys we can get on board that love this program and want to see it do well, they're not trying to make this isn't a stepping stone career thing for these guys. They're just here to help and and get the program back on its feet. I think I think that's a wonderful thing. And it's a it's unique to Nebraska that we could pull these guys in here and. I don't think there's a lot of that around the country right now with the coaching staffs that are that connected, that connected to the school that they're on. That actually harken, not just from the program, but from the time when the program was winning. you talking about Ron Brown? He was here for so much winning. And Jason Peter and, and Foreman, like we already alluded to, Frost himself, you know, and uh, there's just a ton of guys that are, are linked to our, our greatest period of time that are still with the program and still willing to give up their time. We, it, it's got to pay off.
2: Look, I, some people may – maybe we're getting too much into nostalgia talking 90s and stuff, but I also don't think it's something that you just shy away from if you're in Nebraska. I'm proud of those those years. I'm proud of those championships, and I don't care that they're 20 years ago. There's nothing wrong with being proud of those and, and trying to sell those. And uh, you have to sell more than just that, and I think our coaches are, but uh, that's a major part of our history. And, you know, Chaz, Mac, when we talked with Chaz in SoCal uh, a couple months ago, we talked about how important stability was in the program. We talked about how this isn't a time just to go and, and start over with everything for the people that were calling for Frost Head. I I think that was the the part of that conversation that we had. And when I think about that conversation and I think about Dave, what we're talking about right now, that we aren't making these big moves. We're making subtle moves. To me, that makes sense. You know, let's let's make it through the next year, the next two years. And if for four and eight after next year, it's time to make big moves. Right now, I feel like we're close, so let's make the tweaks, and let's not, you know, throw everything aside and start over. There's no reason to do that. We've done that plenty of times in the past. I, I don't think we're far away, so I, I like the moves that Frost has made.
1: All right, good stuff. Honky, uh, any uh, transfer portal news?
2: <laughs> I said last week that we're going to do kind of a, a Honky's transfer portal weekly update, and some of these are just going to be silly ones, and some of them might hit a little closer to home, but... uh one of the things I read over the last week was that it was reported that an overwhelming majority of players in the transfer portal have not landed offers. An astounding 72% of players in the 2021 transfer portal do not have a home yet out of 1,074. And I've also seen reports that there's actually more than 1,600 total in it. So I've heard it's over 2,000 now. You know, not that that's a shock to us to hear, but 72% of players that have gone into it, haven't found a place. So, you know, when they say the grass isn't always greener, I mean, good Lord, the grass isn't always greener. There, there might not even be grass on the other side. You have no idea. When you give up that scholarship to leave a program, you know, you only have a limited number of scholarships. I don't know how all these guys think that they're going to end up playing somewhere.
1: Yeah, you know, Boomer, I, I don't know what the math is behind this, but, I mean, it feels like if you have that many people leaving – then other spots are opening up, um, but I guess it's because of the, the freshman classes coming in that that spots essentially evaporate, is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, especially with this season where you've got just so much chaos kind of with, you know, other classes staying around and, you know, you got six- and seven-year seniors in some places, it seems, and the new freshman class coming in—it's—it's it's hard to balance that roster and know who you need to bring in nowadays. You know, just with scholarships available and everything else, so it's really a challenging year as
1: far as that goes. Max is gonna be really thinking a lot about this as he plays NCAA football on PlayStation. I mean, this is oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, really, yeah. When you got yeah. those
0: players transfer, yeah, yeah. It's
1: gonna be a lot of work,
2: honky. Well, a week ago I mentioned how uh, one of Alabama's five-star linebackers, Ben Davis, who was Bo Davis's nephew, as Dave informed me last week. <laughs> Uh, Well, a second Alabama linebacker has decided to transfer, and this week it's former four-star recruit Al Cahoe. Uh, He was twice selected as Bama's special teams player of the week as a junior in 2020, and he earned that honor four times in 2019. And as I said last week, I'm doing no research on these players. I don't care why they're leaving. I don't know what their stats were beyond all that. I'm I'm literally reading one sentence about them. I'm just trying to make a point that—
3: Oh, so you're Dan Walken? Yes, exactly. Okay, perfect. I'm All just
2: right. literally making a point that there are players from schools like Alabama, and we mentioned a Clemson starting linebacker that went into it. Nebraska is not the only school that has people in the transfer portal. I just like to remind people, you know, as, as often as I can about that. Um, in addition to uh, the Alabama linebacker, there, Mac, your dreams of Oregon quarterback Tyler Shue coming to nebraska they're they're officially over i'm sorry
3: don't paint me with that brush just because i made an (laughs) argument with you all right i'm not in that boat
2: lincoln he didn't want to come to lincoln we're we're out in the middle of nowhere we're a small town he didn't like that he chose to go to texas tech uh because of the arts and the culture of, of lubbock boomer you're from the panhandle of texas originally so can you tell us a little bit about the lovely area that he's uh choosing to move to
0: well, it has a Buddy Holly statue and uh, <laughs> all the natural gas and you know oil fields you can eat, so he's got that to look forward to.
1: West Texas wins, man, I'm telling you. That there is an um, interesting landscape, no doubt about it. Hey. Yeah, we could have went after this. Uh, Louisville got a great transfer quarterback, Boomer. I mean, how do we miss out on him?
0: it's just there's so many to keep track of it's it's just hard hard to know
2: i was just gonna mention that that was my last guy in the transfer portal is you know a quarterback left a school that had a three-year starter with two years of eligibility left and two other freshmen to compete with so that he could go to a school that has a three-year starter with two years of eligibility left a sophomore and a freshman to compete with but he might go there and play running back or wide receiver if he if it doesn't work out for quarterback so makes a lot of sense
1: and
3: so
2: the
1: world
3: turns (laughs) you know maybe this year will be the best thing that could happen to the transfer portal so you could start because you know these kids are getting varying advice from who knows where some of you know have parents some have their camps some have other coaches in their ear i mean it's, it's it is difficult for these young guys to try to figure out what's the best thing for them to do and who to believe and you know they're used to being recruited highly and you know a lot of them anyway. I just think maybe this humongous collapse and a lot of guys getting left in the wind and I'm not happy for those guys yep. and, and I hope everybody lands in some place that they can, you know, do their best, but the reality of this is you, you do need to be very careful with before you throw your name in there and maybe, and maybe working harder in a place you, you already know a little bit about is better than jumping to an entirely different program where you just kind of magically think either the competition in front of you isn't going to be as good or the development that you're going to get from this coach is really going to click. I mean, at some point you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm just going to work as hard as I can where I'm at and see how that goes for a while.
2: Mac. Somebody just said that this last week that is volunteering with this program. And I think his name was Jay Foreman. Oh. And he talked about being number seven on the oh, linebacking, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, depth chart when he was a freshman back in ninety four when yeah. we were so deep with talent and players and guys that had been in the program for four and five years that, you know, it was hard to work your way up the the uh depth chart. And I'm curious what a transfer portal would have looked like in nineteen ninety four and ninety five for Nebraska players. Would they have just jumped ship because they were seventh or or was there such a culture, I guess let's use that word, was there such a culture built in that no, you're gonna stick through it, you're gonna fight your way through it and and earn your spot.
3: Well, we probably I mean, we probably would lose some guys to it. Sure. I mean, I just think that's the nature of the beast.
2: I
0: think we
3: would have <laughs> lost the right guys. Yeah, probably so. I mean <laughs> guys that guys that we don't even really know about. You know, one thing that helps that, helps not losing guys is Not just, not just a, a good culture, but a winning culture. You can, you can eat a lot more of the, of that practice squad time if your team's winning and you can see yourself one day playing for a championship caliber team. That's where we need to get to. You know, like every, like we say all the time, wins fix about every damn thing you can think of on this, Mm -hmm. for this program. So that's another one. The transfer portal is mitigated quite a bit by winning.
2: Yep. I you know, I kid about the Alabama linebackers, and I know the second I say that, someone's gonna be responding to us on social media going, Well, you gotta know that this guy left because of this. I again I'm not reading into any of it, right?
3: But that's a perfect example. They are leaving Alabama and they are winning. So
2: Yeah. But they also are staying for three or four years at least, right? I mean, in our case here, when we lose Florida kids that don't even wait to the first oh, I uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the first practice, or you know, McCaffrey I think Dave, you made the, the argument that McCaffrey was probably ahead of schedule from what most yeah, people thought he would have he been. Was. Why leave after two years? You've already been starting. You've already been playing. What, you know, what's the point, right? Well, why are these guys leaving? Why is Wondell leaving? Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it, and I think it, the easiest, laziest argument is to say culture. Culture. Yep. Oh, he left. Culture. Why did every black shirt stick around? Uh, the I don't know. Is the, is the culture magically better on that side of the room? Yeah, it must be. That must be it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Honky. Speaking of culture and, and recruiting, you know, we had a, a couple of top five announcements out of some of the Omaha recruits for 2022. I'm sure Honky wants to take a deep dive on, on why um, some— Omaha kids aren't putting Nebraska in their top five, but we could also just turn the page and, and go to 2023. I was reading on hellvarsity.com a, a Greg Smith article about a hot start to the 2023 class. You know, I, I can do that because uh, I have a subscription to Hell Varsity and, and the magazine, um, Redcasters. You can go to hellvarsity.com and have a monthly subscription. Put in REDCAST in the promo code. You get a discount. We get a few bucks. All works out. But, uh, you know, it was really interesting. Uh, this includes, the 2023 recruits already include um, offers to, uh, uh, to Tony Tuioti's son, as well as a Pierce, Nebraska tight end. Yeah,
2: Benjamin Brommer, six five, hundred and eighty five pounds. Uh, he's already been offered by Iowa State. Tuioti's son, he's been offered by... Ole Miss, Washington State, and Washington. And you go back to show one of the red casts. And my issue from day one has been if we slow play players or we don't go after in-state kids the way we would other players from other states. I'm not seeing any of that happening right now. And and I'm already getting tired of the talk about 2022 Omaha kids and whether they're interested or not in Nebraska. I don't want to paint a brush over recruits and sit there and say all recruits – If you're from Nebraska, you all have to have grown up as a Husker fan. That's not going to happen. A lot of them, they have a lot of different reasons why they may or may not be. You know, Houseman from Columbus, our hometown, well, he was born in Uganda. You know, I mean, I don't expect him necessarily to naturally have the exact same feelings towards Nebraska that I would have had as an example. And so that all plays into your, you know, how you grow up if you're a fan or not a fan. But it's a funny how, you know, one year removed from bringing in our two biggest recruits from the Omaha Metro, Prochaska and Fedoni, guys that grew up fans, they are going to be committed to Nebraska. I, I will be so shocked and so concerned if we're in two or three years from now losing those two guys to the portal, and that that would be a culture issue to me, right? But I don't see that happening, right? And we've got guys that are really committed, and then you have some other guys that are from the exact same metro, and maybe they didn't grow up the same fans of the program. Maybe they have you know, family and different reasons why they wouldn't be. And if they aren't, they aren't. It, we're still going to go after them. We're still going to recruit them as hard as we can. And if we can't get them or if they're not going to fit, then you move on to other players. I don't have an issue with that, and I'm all about in-state recruiting. And by the way, I don't think that there's an Omaha problem. <laughs> I mean – I would think there was one if we didn't get Hickman and Heinrich and Betts and Prochaska and and Bretts and Rollins. (laughs) And
1: a lot of those
3: guys have played, too. I think a lot of those Nebraska kids have played. Yeah. So it's win. Just win. Hey,
1: Boomer, uh, who would have been probably the
3: the biggest
1: um, Omaha High School uh, graduate who we we lost out of state? This is actually a tough question.
0: The biggest Omaha High School graduate?
1: This is easy. Easy. Gail Sayers, I mean, yes, yeah, that's what that about. seems pretty. What about Niall Kinnick?
2: Well, he was really from Iowa. He only played. But one did he year.
1: graduate from Omaha?
2: Yeah, well, he was from Iowa all the way up until he was like sixteen. So he was an Iowa kid, really.
1: But, but the, to your point, that was, yes, that was my point, though, right? I mean, he did not have Nebraska ties in nineteen thirty, whatever, right? So it was pretty easy to go back to Iowa. Um, but yes, Gail Sayers might might still be the right answer, though. One of those did win a high school. And has a
2: stadium named after him, so it's hard to hard to argue that too.
3: Yeah, but it's an Iowa stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a minus two. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, Boomer, speaking of Hell Varsity, uh Hockey did actually uh point out a really good uh, Derek Peterson article uh about uh, the razor thin margin of mistakes and it, it's got tons of data in it. So I don't want to quote out of it too much because Derek does a heck of a job on research, but, uh, I mean, he, he makes the point of like some of the just amazing stats that, that Nebraska had on, on things of, uh, you know, turnovers on drives and, and how that impacts uh success or lack thereof on the, um, offensive side of the ball. um, And uh, he has a set in the last three years, the Huskers have had an offensive play and in a turnover or a tackle for a loss 11.9% of the time, which ranks 101st in FBS. Um, Those are the things that we need to clean up (laughs) to to have success next year, right?
0: Yeah, and this gets back to what Honky was talking about with having, you know, other players come back and things like that. It's just we have to do these we've gotta fix these little these little things like this. You know, we didn't make big changes, so we're counting on fixing these smaller things. And the way he puts it, it is kind of a razor thin margin. It you fix those simple things, you know. Being, yeah, 101st out of 130, that's that's not good. I mean, it doesn't take a math genius to do that. yeah You know, some of the other points he had on there, it's like, uh, on just clean possessions, we average 2.37 points per drive, and when you have a tackle for loss on a drive, it's 1.5, so you're almost a whole point less per drive. I mean, those are the things that kill games, that make that razor thin, we're close to turning the corner, making us a, you know, sub-500 team. Yeah, that's the stuff you have to clean up. So and that's just a great illustration of it. And I encourage everyone to read that and just kind of take a look at it.
2: Okay, so, Dave, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here for a moment. And the naysayers to all this talk about how razor thin we are and how close we are. I I constantly talk about the 12 losses by one score or less is that. The naysayers are going to be saying that Nebraska fans talk about how close we are because all these little things. But how little are these things? Special teams and those turnovers and those sacks that Boomer talks about, that the negative plays that make our drives you know, lose a point per drive. Those aren't small things. Those are real fundamental issues. And how much can we fix just by these little tweaks? Or is it as simple as, we need to make a few little tweaks here. A Bill Bush comes in with special teams and all of a sudden, boom, we're a top 25 special teams program next year. I mean, is it as big or is it razor thin or as big as it, You know, some people think?
1: It's kind of a yes or no on that one to some degree because, I mean, I think you can say you're right. They are little things in the sense that compared to what Frost inherited um, from a physical standpoint, Mm-hmm. I would say that we are bigger stronger faster to Jay foreman's quotes earlier that yep. that of where we need to be f- to be competitive in the big ten um but the the bigger leap is is why have these little things held us back and then what the coaching staff needs to correct to fix them going forward I mean that has to happen for this program to be a success under Frost. it's frustrating that it, it hasn't already happened it feels like that type of um kind of culture and accountability should have been established on day one we don't know all the inner workings of what happened to get us here let's not worry about that let's figure out how to fix it but it it doesn't seem like it's as easy as it should be right um Mm -hmm. and that's the frustrating part for everyone is like why is it taking so long to fix these little things and um there's a lot of circumstances here that it's hard to put a finger on
2: no. Well, we all know the answer is just culture, right? It's just culture. <laughs> yeah. We just we get a better culture, and, and we won't get sacked anymore. I think that's the important takeaway from this discussion.
1: Yeah. You know, um, since we're just kind of going off on on tangents, one thing I did want to want to talk about was uh, you know, the culture of Nebraska. No. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct has talked about this a, a couple of different times already. Uh, but it was a podcast on the athletic uh, Andy Staples and R.A. Wasserman ranked the Big Ten uh, coaching jobs, um, desirability, essentially. They were like, well, "Oh if... boy!" and uh, it's like, you know, just you know, the next five-year window, right? Just trying to have currently where you're at, next five-year window, what are the best jobs to have, what's the worst job to have? Um, and, you know, Ohio State was number one, obviously. But a lot of their focus was on recruiting. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you have any hockey? Do you have any idea where they put Nebraska?
2: Well, we're in a conference that's called the Big Ten that has 14 teams. So I'll yeah. say they put us
1: 16th. I don't know.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say 12th.
1: Boomer, you want to break the news to him?
0: Well, actually, Mac was fairly close. Uh, I believe they had us uh, both uh, ranked 11th, if that I recall. Is uh, behind Rutgers. Behind oh, Rutgers. I- 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 yeah. Yes.
2: Just when. Yes. God, this is so stupid, but just
1: win. So, I I mean, as I mentioned, I don't want to steal this. Unsportsmanlike Context has <laughs> covered this at depth. They actually have Ari Wasserman on. Yeah. Uh, well, when we go live tomorrow, this podcast, they're probably going to have, have Ari on. So, I don't want to actually talk about that anymore, but it, it did want me to prompt a question to you guys, actually. And and it was it, – it's – this. Uh, kind of perception, I guess, to point of just win, right? I mean, we just need to win to fix this, right? Even if it's just getting it back to nine wins a a season. What has been more detrimental to the national perception of Nebraska football? The 15 years uh, or so um, Mm -hmm. after Osborne, where there was a slow decline and We are typically a nine win season type of team, but we never really threatened, um, to be a national title contender, um, you know, after, after Solich's 2001 year. Or is it the last, you know, five, six years, essentially the Mike Riley and Scott Frost, um, you know, six years where we have had multiple losing seasons and our, non-competitive and can't beat Wisconsin, Iowa and, and Minnesota and Northwestern which what's more detrimental to our perception the last five or six years or just kind of the the lackluster, you know, sustained average
3: teams of the Callahan and, and Poli years. Uh, for me, I don't think there's any questions. The last five years has been worse. And and I think it's compounded by the fact that you you see the emergence of social media. So, so many things get talked about and illustrated and highlighted and nagged upon that it just really hammers home when you're struggling. Other fan bases are willing to pile on and talk about how you struggled for a long time. The mediocrity before um, didn't help. But then you, and then when it finally the you know comes crashing down, and we're having these seasons, it's like ha, we knew it. You guys were declining, and you've hit now. You've hit your, you know, your rock bottom, so to speak. So, and then yeah, like I said, with with social media on top of that, I think these last these last five years, and especially with the recruiting cycles going so quickly, you have have certainly hurt us.
2: Yeah, it, Nebraska football history has picked inopportune times to have their low years. We've talked ad nauseum, we did a Husker History 101 with Mike Babcock about how great Nebraska football was from 1891 to 1941. But we had a really bad 20 years from 40 to 62, and what's happening during that period? TV. So TV comes out, college football starts being televised, and who's on TV during that time? Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Army, Navy, those kind of schools, but not Nebraska. So when people think about who are the traditional powers – Nebraska doesn't get that play from the the way back because when that media was coming out, we weren't part of the discussion at that point, even though it was literally the only time from 1891 to 2003 that we weren't a real dominant player in the college football scene. Well, the last 10 to 15 years to max point, when the social media and and the internet has really blown up to the point that it has, we've picked a time to be low and you know, and then you it just people pile onto it. And so what is it? Well, you know, I'm sure we're the eleventh best program to ha you know, to be a coach of right now because look at how horrible our recruiting area is. Never mind the fact that we recruit better year in and year out yep. than all the other schools, right? I mean, Iowa has eight, nine and ten win seasons recruiting in the exact same area that we're recruiting, right? Um I guess we just need to get into our, we need to start having thirtieth ranked classes
3: and then we can have the success they do, right? we just need to win well and if we started winning too with we could take the social media presence that we have as a Husker fan base oh, which is huge goodness. and if we started wow. winning we could build ourselves back up pretty quickly because we would be relentless <laughs> so i mean there's 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 no you know true. you know there's two true. sides to this like look at us as a podcast how desperately we want to talk about wins you know and we're we're talking about seasons that are historically the worst we could ever have imagined you yeah. know so this the the interest i get that's why it's probably a less desirable job i don't know if it goes about that in the article but part of the reason this job would not be desirable is the expectations are to be great which is part of the reason that this job is the perfect job. I mean, it's because you yeah. you you need the fan base to be rabid to stay relevant. Otherwise, you're just going to drift. Mac, that's exactly right. I mean, some of the points they made were like, "Oh, it'd be
1: it's great to be at Michigan State because no one really cares that much, and you're in a, a good recruiting area." And I like is that. Really, what you that? want as a coach? I, I I'm yeah. intrigued on the mentality of apparently it's a advantage if you don't have a good fan base. Apparently, we're <laughs> yeah. the problem guys. I didn't realize this, but apparently fans that care are really a detriment to getting a good coach in here.
0: To some degree, if you look at Tennessee, if you have crazy, insane fans, then it can be a detriment. So, Yeah, but we haven't done of any the, of those yeah. things. Yeah, we're not those things. At least this podcast isn't so.
2: And really, when it comes to the last 15 to 20 years, one of the biggest detriments, we've said this multiple times on the show, is we've had leadership issues where we have ended up firing 9 win coaches multiple times. And and we've had some of those issues, but we've talked at nauseum about how that part, really, even though the last four years, three years, have been really bad on the field, on football and even with basketball, but the leadership that we have is so stable from the president down to the head coaches, that's all still there. That's in place. They're not making big changes and, and shaking things up. And I know that's frustrating for all of us to have to sit there and watch it. And, and we just watched a basketball game again tonight. One more loss, right? Just throw it on the fire, right? But are we making progress with the right people in place? And are we giving them all the resources they need? And can they get the job done? Do they have the time to do it? That's what we have right now and you know, there's no guarantee it's gonna work, but I I feel more confident about working right now than I have at any other time during those fifteen years because of everything we've just talked about and the stability that these coaches have above them. You know, it's on these guys. We hired good guys, let's them do do their
3: job. One of these things they always seem to reference when it comes to Nebraska is our recruiting disadvantage. And yet Historically it's never <laughs> been a problem. So I don't get if you take the disadvantage so, has always been there. I don't yeah, understand how it changed. And and we're pretty good at overcoming it. So like that's not really something to go forward with. Is it harder at Nebraska? Maybe. I don't know. But I think recruiting's hard everywhere. I think a lot of teams put a lot of effort into recruiting. I just yeah. think that's how it goes. So like they keep saying that. Like we're like we haven't been able to that's not the thing we're struggling with, is not recruiting. It's nope. the development and, and the production on the field, so so like that's the problem. So I don't get I don't get what they're saying. And then when you do, you've got you've got a sellout streak that goes back to the '60s. So what? Yeah, well, who the I'm heck wants something. to come
2: to Nebraska, where we just had you know a, a snowstorm that was negative thirty degrees a week ago? Of course, it's fifty today because you know why not? But you know, who would want to come here, barren land in the middle of nowhere, blah blah blah? Well, apparently, the number one recruit in Hawaii. Because he came here, and we constantly get guys from Florida or California or Georgia. The, the problem isn't getting guys to come here. It is about getting the right guys to come here, and then, to your point, Mac, developing them. and, and Keeping look, them here. I feel like we're doing that with such a, a majority of the team. I feel I see progress across the board. The wins have to come with that at some point, and, and quite honestly, soon. They have to start coming, because... You can't have all this positivity. You can't have Jay Foreman walking out of the weight room going, these guys look like they can you know, go up and play against anybody, right? And not have it eventually lead to victories. So it has to start to happen at some point. I'm not telling Frost anything he doesn't know. This guy, he's as dedicated and committed. We have people that are absolutely dedicated to this program, that yeah. love this program. That was the right pr- uh, formula three years ago when these guys came in, and it's the right formula today. We just need the wins. We just need the yeah, wins.
3: If you're going to put this much damn time into into making <laughs> dinner, you know, it better be a damn good dinner. And I feel <laughs> like we've taken all the time. We're doing all the right steps. We're getting the finest ingredients. We're making sure all our ducks yep. in a row, when this thing finally takes off, it needs to not be just slightly better than Iowa or just a little bit <laughs> above what Northwestern cycles in and out of. No way. Like this needs to get, when it gets good, it needs to stay good and be good.
1: Amen to that. Absolutely. All right, guys. Um, Well, Hunk, you know, another thing that we've been working on here on the Redcast is this um, top five position rankings thing. You want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I started it last week and we had kind of done a little bit of a text chain on it and we started it with quarterback and I threw five names out there Um, and then graphic designer Swobes created a graphic for it. We posted it out there on, on Twitter and it it took off. We had a lot of response to it, which is great. Thank you. RedCast nation for doing that. And it's something that it got me thinking, well, we should really incorporate this more into the show and really make this a weekly thing. So each week for the next couple months, at least it's off season, it's time to do this kind of content is let's break down a position group all time at Nebraska and come out with our top five. And I don't think we need to rank them one through five. It's just, let's get five guys into each position group. Um, just to update Redcasters, maybe the ones that don't go onto our social media accounts, last week we did uh, our top five quarterbacks. Um, we had Frazier, Gill, Eric Crouch, Frost, and Taggy. So three guys that won national titles, Frazier, Frost, and Taggy. A guy that won the, uh, the Heisman and Crouch and then Gill who obviously i mean he revolutionized the position for us to the triple option went 22 and 2 as a starter his last two seasons here could have i mean literally came within inches you want to talk about razor thin inches of back to back national championships undefeated um and walked away with none which that you know hurts his his all-time status in some people's minds but, um, when you think of those five, and I'll start with you, Dave, do you have any issue with those five being in there, or I'll give you some of the feedback we got, but uh you know uh what do you think of that list
1: you know its it's a strong list, there's no doubt about it. It's hard to exclude national championship quarterbacks on there um but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of folks that get left off there. You know, the 70s did have some very good pro-style quarterbacks. Um, I believe you did get some feedback about Vince Ferragamo, for example, Dave Hum. Um, I think you could go back. I mean, from the point of Gil being a transformational quarterback uh, for Osborne, Boomer, who was the the, the first quarterback uh, for Devaney? Bob? Uh, Dennis Claridge. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Clearidge was first, but then uh, Churches followed that. They were very competitive there in the mid-60s there. So, I mean, there, there's some some really good names out there.
2: What's interesting is some of the arguments came with Crouch. People thought that he either should be higher because he won the Heisman, or there are people that thought he should be all the way off. And, uh, in fact, Dr. Rob Zaska, he responded to us, and he said, in no particular order, Brooke, Tommy, Frost, Taggy, and Gill. So, obviously, Beringer. And, I look, I... None of these discussions that we're going to have about any player at any position is ever talking against one of these guys. These are all greats if your name's even coming up to be for discussion. I'm not arguing against Brooke. Um, the reason I didn't have Brooke on that list and I had Crouch instead was because Crouch played for three seasons and won a Heisman. But obviously what Brooke did to come in and go – 8-0 as a starter. You know, that victory, one of my favorite games of all time, is 94 against Colorado and how he showed up to play in that. And obviously we don't beat uh, Miami if we don't have Brooke and Tommy. Brooke is absolutely – one of those all-time great quarterbacks for us. He just has more of a limited biowork decision. Yeah, his big. resume
1: is a little bit shorter. Yeah, yep. That's right. You know, I mean, like, personally, just as a, as a childhood fan of the Huskers, you know, Steve Taylor was a quarterback that yep. I grew up with, where I always put Steve Taylor probably higher than most people, just because, I mean, he, he had a great production. They were very good teams. Ranked number, you know, one or two uh, in 87. I mean, they, they were Highly competitive in the late 80s and uh, just didn't get it done, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, Steve Taylor always sticks out to me. Yeah,
2: we had a guy, Hokey Mark, so I'm guessing he's kind of a snarky Virginia Tech fan. He said what this list really highlights is the golden age of Husker football was 1980 to 2001. And what that, to me, highlights is that Virginia Tech people don't understand history or years very well because we had Taggy on it. Taggy was from 69 to 71. So right away, that would expand it more. But we talked earlier about Claridge, and you know you can go all the way back. I mean, further than this, there's plenty of QBs to pick from. Uh, actually, a knock on Taggy that we heard from several people that responded was that he wasn't even the best quarterback on the team at the time. Van Bronson
1: yep, uh,
3: right.
2: would have been the best uh, QB. So it, it's interesting there, but obviously Taggy walks away with two titles, wins the game of the century, has the iconic score against LSU where he's yeah. going over the It's It's not
1: dissimilar one. to the Brooke versus Tommy conversation, mm-hmm. really.
2: Mm-hmm midlife crisis he responded that uh tom haas or i quit and i think that's fair tom haas uh (laughs) anyone that remembers the uh georgia tech citrus bowl that was a that was a fun one but uh mac did you have any names that that came to mind or anything when you heard that list that uh you think we missed on
3: no not necessarily i mean i feel like Quarterbacks are often judged by their championships or how, you know, how well their teams do. So it all makes sense to me. But as we were talking about this, I was just thinking, of like, all right, let's take championships off the table. Let's just remove those quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then who would you go with? And I was thinking, like, Zach Taylor. That's a guy that was oh, really sure. a really good player for us. And just because I think some of it is, he was in the afterglow of all the national championships. So the expectation he was never going to meet short of a national championship. Some of those guys in the eighties get the benefit of the doubt because we hadn't won one in a long time. But I, you know, Zach, Joe Gantz, too. I mean, he was a pretty good little quarterback for us and, and produced some big time numbers. And then Sam Keller, who killed uh, NCAA football. <laughs> you know, he's pretty, you know, Mac.
1: <laughs> To that point, I mean, sometimes one or two games in a player's career can change everything. I mean, could you imagine if Taylor Martinez um, won, uh, you know, two big uh, twelve championships? It'd have a huge impact on on our perceptions.
3: What would one national championship do for Turner Gill, Tommy Fraser? Argument, oh. just one. You know, like yeah. you would. I mean, he's he's Turner Gill, man. Probably yeah, the want- most complete, explosive. Just a great quarterback.
2: And the coach of many of the other quarterbacks that were on this list, whether it's Frost or if Brooke would have been on it, Tommy. And, you know, Mac, you've mentioned this too. And Again, we have this discussion. We are not trying to knock former players. But, like, Mac, we'll watch old games and Tommy throwing the ball, and he was a sub-500
3: completion career passer. He's literally awful at it. I mean, that, I mean, he's, that's his worst quality at a, as a quarterback was his throwing. That's, Great
1: leadership, though. That's the difference yeah. with Tommy, man.
2: And what did we say? He was. This is. We're not going to rank guys moving forward. We're just going to come up with a top five list. But we did rank our QBs, and Tommy made number one. Why? Because he went thirty three and three as a starter. He's the yeah. only all time three time MVP in national championship games, including one of them that he lost to the Heisman winner Charlie Ward. I mean, we are not knocking Tommy Frazier as. As, as a player, other than to say he wasn't a great passer, and everyone knew that, but that didn't ma- mean that he wasn't a great quarterback for us because we ran a style of offense that everything about him was perfect for. Mm. But you're, you're right too, Dave, about like you know whether it's Gantz or you know Zach Taylor. Just think about some recent QBs: Armstrong, both the Martinezes. We've got guys that have played long careers here. Just in the last 10, 15 years, we've actually had quite a bit of stability at times at that one position. Far better than our head coaches, really. Yeah, Yeah. very rarely have we had the uh, Sam Keller, or, you know, Tanner Lee, one-and-done guys. Most of our quarterbacks have been long-term dudes here. And depending on who you ask, you know, that's been a good or a bad thing, I guess. Yep.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, um, are we uh, turning our attention towards running backs now, Huck? I think so. I think that's
2: it's fair game. And so the way that we'll do this each week is I'm going to come up with my top five. And again, I'm not no particular order. I'm going to come up with my top five, and I'll bring them up here. And then I really want us to beat it up. You know, let's have a good, solid debate. And I hope Redcasters enjoy this. And when we get done, we will post this group of five uh, with it. So I'm going to go with Mike Rozier, 1983 Heisman winner, Lawrence Phillips, Amon Green, Amir Abdullah. And to get a little bit of old-school charm into it, 1950s running back Bobby Reynolds. Let's start with you, Dave. Did I hit it right out of the ballpark on day one, or or is there? am I missing something?
1: No, it's a really good list. I mean, and this is harder than quarterbacks, in my opinion. There's just so many Nebraska running backs that have All-American credentials behind their name, uh, conference first-teamers, um, huge statistical years. So it's, this is a challenge, you know, from a name recognition. You know, someone like Roger Craig, who was here before Rozier and then actually transitioned to fullback when Rozier got here. You have your kind of 70s running backs like I am Hip and Jarvis Redwine. Um, Jeff Kinney, for goodness sakes, guys, scored some of the most memorable touchdowns in Nebraska history. Um, from our era, you have Keith Enzone Jones, right? You have Ken Clark. Derek Brown, Calvin Jones. I mean, let's just go on and on. Yeah. So it's just really – this is this is a great discussion.
2: Well, and Mac, how about even the the recent guys too? You know, we've had – I mentioned Abdullah, but there's also Rex Burkhead. There's Roy Hallou. Even Brandon Jackson won a – I think he was all-conference uh, this junior year when he left early to go pro. To Dave's point, I mean, multiple generations of, of players. Was there somebody – that you can clearly take off my list and, and put one of your guys on?
3: So, I mean, the only one I never watched Bobby Reynolds play, so it's hard for me to form an opinion on him too strongly. Um, I do, you know, Roy Hallou, I feel, is a guy who gets slept on a lot, and, and he was an effective running back. I maybe battled some injuries, but man, he was fun to watch. Obviously, Rex Burkhead was just. Kind of old reliable back there. You know, Carell Buckhalter. You know, he was kind of, he's had a pretty good pro career. He he was sort of in there in a time where we split a lot of carries up. And if he would have been featured a little bit more, maybe he he goes down in the books. You know, Darren Diedrich had a thousand yard year. So, yeah, it's funny when you try to make this list and you look back at all the history we have at running backs and it's difficult to try to decipher who you'd put on a top five. You know, Amir Abdullah was fantastic. I think he absolutely belongs on there. But it's like, it's kind of been a drought now um and we really needed to get back to that so historically we've proven that we can so hopefully this year is one of them
2: you know what's funny with like a guy like Abdullah too is you know it's not just about recruiting here I mean Abdullah came in at a time where we had Braylon Hurd and Aaron Green those are the two big guys out of that class four star big guys and you know, Abdullah was the one that, that worked his way out of that. Again, kind of what we talked about earlier, sticking around, not just taking off after a year or two. He went through the, the process and left here, uh, you know, one of the all-time best. And I think that that's important for guys, too, is that it's not always going to be instantaneous. You mentioned Roger Craig, Dave, and Roger Craig lost his position, ended here as a fullback, because Rozier, you know, came in here from Coffeyville Junior College and takes the back spot. So, that doesn't mean the end of football for those guys. I think Roger Craig went on to do something else kind of okay after he left here, right? And uh, and even had a fullback in front of him that was from Nebraska. And I think maybe fullbacks will do a separate list. That can be next week. It's the offseason. I think the non-negotiables here have to be Rozier, Lawrence Phillips, and Amon Green. Is that safe to say? Does anybody have any argument with those three being somewhere in this top five?
3: I'm not trying to be controversial here, but... I do no, be, feel be like it, I, it. I do feel like with Amon Green, his resume is a little inflated based on the teams he played for. If you're asking me my top three, I would put Amir ahead of Amon. I thought he was a far more dynamic and complete back, and his college years. That I think Amon came along in a really good time, and he's a he's a great athlete. But I I don't know Amir Abdullah. He was something. That's like
1: interesting, this. Mac. I I, I I mean I don't know Amon's like straight line speed was such a. a great attribute, that he also he, had a very good NFL career afterwards, you know. I mean, he had a good NFL career. To me, know? he
3: was almost better in the NFL. Um, yeah. I mean, he looked more explosive. I don't know. I'm Certainly, I'm not disparaging Amon Green. Mm-hmm. And I guess both of them had a little bit of fumble issues. But, but you know, for example, the Akron game where Amir makes that amazing play to score.
2: Oh, the McNeese State game? Oh, I'm
3: sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. The McNeese State game where, where Amir makes that amazing play to score. You can't tell me that Amon Green could have done that. I, he well, they're couldn't. different
1: backs. There's no doubt. There's different backs there. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, I'm on a, around around the, the end on a pitch um, and down the
3: sideline. Um, as long as he didn't have to turn. Now, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he had great,
1: great speed, which he put to his advantage. I don't know. man. Yeah. Yeah.
3: See, and
2: again, this isn't this the, the tough thing? Is like these are all all-time greats. I mean, the fact that they're even in the discussion and you have to get nitpicky down to some of the – I know what you're saying, Matt, because I, I know you're a Packers fan. I mean, you you, mm-hmm. you, you love Amon Green. and we
3: I do. Part of it, too, is he comes right after LP, too. Like you're talking about one of the sweetest running backs we ever had. So that's what I'm watching, and then it goes to Amon Green. And he was like a grown man when, by the time he was a freshman in high school. So, you know, Honky, I'm surprised you didn't mention Dan Alexander. I know you loved him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm kind of categorizing all these guys, and you
2: mentioned Carell Buckholder, so instantly I think Dan Alexander with that. Right. Also, when you think about, you know, Lawrence Phillips, I think about Damon Benning and Clinton Childs and even, <laughs> even Jay Sims. I'm not putting Jay Sims on this list, but I'm just saying these are guys that, that you went four deep, and every time they put Jay Sims on the field, he'd run for 80 yards. And part of that was, what our system was, and you know, we were blowing teams out in our offensive line, and, and there is credit that is given to some of these guys because they got to play behind those kind of pipelines, no doubt about it. So, what I'm going to do is based off of Mac's suggestion there, I'm going to say, here's our top three that are non negotiables: Rozier, Lawrence Phillips, and Abdullah. Are we okay
1: with that, or do we? I disagree with that, but. Boomer.
0: Well, just to throw those, since we're just talking those three, does Phillips get dinged at all for missing big chunks of the season? You know, for his well-known issues. I mean, does that play a role in when we talk about great running backs for the program? Not, I mean, not that... one bit.
1: Even with those dings, Boomer, I think he still is in the top two.
0: I mean, yeah, yeah and sheer talent. Yeah, yeah we'd, it's we we had
2: that, but it's just a football list. Jeez, man. <laughs> It is. I'm just throwing it out there. I will say this. There's something to be said about for as much history as we have at the running back position and the amount of great players that we've had. And a lot of them have gone on to the pros and done well, too. We don't have a lot of first round picks that have come out of that position. And that's something that LP did. The wee backs that we had, Calvin Jones and Derek Brown, both of them went pro. They're not first-rounders. Uh, Keith Jones, Ken Clark, guys that you know had great careers here. They weren't first-rounders. Mon Green gotta...
3: was a third-round pick. Yeah, I think.
2: Mike Rozier would have been a first-rounder, but he ended up going to the USFL at the time. And Rozier, I mean, to at least get – let's talk Rozier for a second, not to debate him, but just to talk about what he did do. To have over 2,000 yards rushing, still the single-season record for Nebraska in 1983, part of that scoring explosion, um, the amount of touchdowns he ran for, is he averaged like – what was it seven point something yards of carry? I think it was that season. And, and again, he
3: seven point eight or something like that.
2: Oh my days. gosh! And he took over again for Roger Craig. I mean, he basically yeah. moved Craig in '82. So, I mean, if,
1: from the unquestionable standpoint, I think Rozier is the the strongest case of it's just for impossible sure. to argue um, that one. Yeah, against yep, it. the
2: only Heisman winner, obviously, out of that position. So we'll do Rozier. We'll do Lawrence Phillips. We'll do Amon Green. And I think we're saying that we'll do Amir Abdullah. So what it gets down to is really it's that fifth spot. This is where we're going to fight, right? I put down Bobby Reynolds there. Um, I don't really think I'm going to get to keep him. Boomer, I'm going to go to you first because you're the only guy that could go further back in time than, uh, than Bobby Reynolds. And I'm sure you will. So who would you put at number five there?
0: Yeah, I always try to think of this, kind of like I mentioned with quarterback, you know, you didn't have quite the lengthy career to draw on, at least in terms of what we think of as a modern quarterback, but uh, with with, uh, running back slots, you know, you have so much more history to draw on. Um, I thought, you know, initially maybe someone like uh, George Sauer back in the 30s for Dana X Bible. Um, He was also a Packer. He had quite a few rushing yards. He also punted for us and passed for quite a bit He's in the College Football Hall of Fame and I think was our first running back that was a consensus All-American. So he was an option I thought of. But then I decided I'm really going to fire up the old uh, flex capacitor on the Studebaker Model C. And I'm going all the way back to uh, the Sutton Comet of the Twister, Johnny Bender. He was a... uh, Player from 1900 to through the 1904 season. He was a five time letter winner in football. Yes, he was there five years and also won uh, four letters in baseball as well. He was a pretty solid athlete. And by his third season here, he was essentially the first marquee running back we had that everyone talked about. You know, we talked about how you want players that kind of will teams to victory. He was pretty much that guy. Everything you read about him, he was basically the offense for, for much of it. Um, 1902, for example, that was the first season we ever defeated Minnesota. You know we've only beat him a handful of times from 1900 until you know basically 1950 and that was the very first time and he's the only one who scored a touchdown. We won that game six to nothing. That was the first loss for Minnesota in three years. They were they were the power basically west of Chicago. 1903, they talk about him all the time in that season uh, against Kansas. He had a like 70 yard touchdown run. And that same game, you know, they also played defense. He ran down a guy returning a punt for 60 yards. So, you know, constantly playing both sides of the ball, breaking off big runs every chance he got. Um, some of the quotes you'd hear from him, like uh, in that Kansas game, they called him a distinct sensation. He left Jayhawks paralyzed with indecision and like an eagle, he'd slip past them. You know, things <laughs> like that. He returned punts <laughs> in that game as well. You know, 1904, they you know, they talked about him quite a bit there. His last season, you know, big clash with Minnesota. Yeah, that was a huge game. That was one of Minnesota's national title teams. And we were the only team to score on them that year. And we scored, you know, two touchdowns against them in that game. And, you know, Johnny Bender played a role in those. And prior to the game, there were thousands of Minnesota students that came out to greet Nebraska there. And he was called upon to give a speech. And as the news put it, uh, he responded with some witty remarks, which completely won the heart of
1: all there to hear it. So... <laughs> Uh, does Honky know that the uh, term going on a bender derives from uh, a Johnny Bender?
2: I'm not falling for this again.
0: <laughs> but then in that game, you know, he he not only scored a touchdown, but he also made a, a tackle. As uh, our hometown Columbus Journal then put it, uh, he prevented another touchdown and kept some good Nebraska money in the home market, which the BetCast <laughs> would be proud of. So... <laughs> That 1904 season, he was third team on uh, Walter Camp's All-American list, which back then was a huge deal to even be considered for that if you were west of Chicago. Only Nebraska and Minnesota were the only teams that ever got mentioned on that list, and he was one of them. Because if you think there was an East Coast bias to ESPN and that kind of stuff then, uh, now it was worse then. Uh Another fun article I saw was how the— in 1904, they were starting this new thing called the Girls' Rooting Squad, where they were going to let uh, <laughs> some of the some of the coeds actually start cheering and and running uh, running cheers there. And they'd also they were concerned that greedy football management was seeing this as a good drawing card. This is the Daily Nebraskan, so they haven't changed much. And. Uh, <laughs> But they did mention that uh, Johnny Bender's been won over by the girls as 50% of the yells given her for him. So he was just an early, early icon for the sport. So I'd, I'd hesitate to leave him off.
2: Yeah. I mean, I definitely appreciate the history lesson there, Boomer. And without a doubt. I, well, I'm here to help. I think, it, Dave, it might be tough to keep uh, Johnny Bender on this list. All very good things. I don't know how to compare what he did necessarily to... Some of these guys in a more modern era, which is we're going to find that with every position group that we talk about. But, Dave, how do you follow up Johnny Bender? Who are you thinking?
1: Oh, well, I 100% agree Johnny Bender was actually on the tip of my tongue <laughs> as well. I mean, I don't know how we would even go anywhere else, really, Hunk. I mean, clearly the Sutton comment was was a, a top five running back of all time. I really have nothing else to add.
2: That's how you debate. You know, I, I thought very highly... Of Bobby Reynolds there, but the more that we've talked and a name that came up, I think if you're just trying to set some criteria, Jeff Kenny is a tough guy to beat here. I mean, he played for three seasons as a starter, so he has enough of a you know body of work. But uh to win two national championships as a starting running back, you know, the game of the century, I think the the shirt getting torn, but also He was a receiver out of the backfield at a time when that wasn't the case. I mean, he had 87 career receptions for 913 yards, three touchdowns just receiving. And when he did leave Nebraska, he did go on to be a first-round draft pick for the Chiefs and played there for for a number of years, too. But, I don't know, I guess Kenny meets a lot of criteria if we're talking about championships, too. I mean, he was there at a time where, where we were obviously winning
1: him. To the uh, discussion of having a bell cow. I mean, he was the bell cow in the game of the century, right? I mean, oh, gosh, yeah. We relied on him to win us that game on the offensive side of the ball. So, yep, yeah, good point, Hulk.
3: You know, I've been looking at the all-time rushing list, just trying to decide on who I might go with. It's it's fascinating. Gosh, you know, I think people sleep on Calvin Jones's numbers a little bit. That dude averaged 6.8 yards a carry, his career. And he was split in time with Derrick Brown. And he's still just behind Rex Burkhead. He's number seven in all-time rushing. And Rex Burkhead's a good pick. You know, I, I don't know. I Roy Hallou's a good pick. I tend to be more modern because we already have Boomer on the team. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about that. I'm going to go with Calvin Jones. I'm going to go with Calvin Jones. All right, so I'm going to go around the room here,
2: and I'll make the final decision here. I will agree with one of you three, or if two of you guys agree, we'll go with that guy. But uh, Boomer, Johnny Bender... Mac, you're saying Calvin Jones? Yeah. Dave, who are you thinking? I'm going to go Jeff Kenny. I think you made a good
1: argument for Jeff.
2: Okay. We're going to agree with Dave there. So our top five, not ranked in any order, uh, all-time Husker running backs, Rozier, Lawrence Phelps, Amon Green, Amir Abdullah, and Jeff Kinney.
3: 4.1 yards a carry.
2: <laughs> Redcasters, <laughs> red let us know what you think. We'll create a graphic, post it, but uh, let us know what you think. We're way off. <laughs> Was this fun to listen to? Do you want to hear more about Johnny Bender next week? All that. And I think next week we will actually do fullbacks, uh,
3: which will be kind of a fun one. That, we'll just call that the honky list right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that at all. Wait a minute. Yeah. Where would you put Judd Davies? That's unbelievable.
1: <laughs> and now, the basketball. All right, Honk, let's uh, turn the page to... Nebraska ball, and um, we can't seem to get past uh, Penn State tonight. We uh, lose 86-83 to despite Teddy Allen's 41 points. That's one point off of the school record by uh, the Polish rifle, Eric Pajkowski, and uh, an overall better offensive performance. But um, this uh, caps uh, off another loss. We lost over the weekend. We're still stuck at one conference victory. How is your level of frustration at right now?
2: Well, it's up there. I was DMing all night with uh, Believe in Fred, who's been on our show after one of our Rapid Reaction football victories. I, he's obviously very frustrated, and one of the things that he's mentioned that this is the most talented team since the knee era. I don't know that I agree with that, but... It's certainly frustrating because a lot of the mistakes that we make, and he brought up a very good point where he mentioned that this team doesn't seem to have trust with each other. And I would tend to agree with that. There just seems to be issues that the team has from, I don't know if the word again, culture, but just playing together. But look, it's year two. Of a transition in a COVID year where we didn't have an offseason to build a lot of that trust or to build a lot of that teamwork together. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, John Baline, the uh, former Michigan coach, was doing one of our games and he said, No team has been more affected by COVID than Nebraska because of the rebuild that was going on. I think if you're one of those teams like an Iowa or, you know, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, those teams that are in the top 10 right now, and you're bringing back the bulk of your team and you're not rebuilding, that doesn't affect them as much, but obviously in our case here, I mean, this was another rebuild in year two. This is a whole new team from a year ago. And yeah, they just look like they have never really gotten their legs under them together. And then you get the whole COVID cancellation in the middle and you see some good things. And then the lazy passes and the, the effort that Penn state was getting with those offensive rebounds and still some missed free throws. I mean, those things
1: are just maddening. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the trust thing, uh, that believe and Fred mentioned is interesting. I, because I don't think it's just simply like, oh, they don't trust one another. I, they don't always maybe trust the system or the offense that Hoiberg is trying to get them to, to fully buy in on. And that is definitely a part of not having all the offseason um, camaraderie and, and practice. That makes a big difference on that. They, they've really struggled with that. I mean, it is a talented team. Uh, it's a deeper team, to um, his point, than we would have in, in many, many years. There's definitely been better top-end talent. Um, you know, I, you look at Roby, Palmer, and Copeland just um, coming to mind. It's hard to argue that those guys aren't, aren't probably better at a, at a top end. But this is a deep team that just doesn't really play that well together at times. Uh, again, today's offense was better. Um, Were they sharp, especially in the first half when it came to some of those passes? No. Um, Did they play well enough defense at the end of the game to win? No. Um, And so we're left with another loss. But, I mean, if you ask me, do I see hope? Yeah, absolutely. I, I see hope because I see talent out there. They are playing better at times. They shot a lot better today. If this team just shot better, it would be a world of difference. And maybe they can build on this shooting performance uh, going forward.
2: Well, we just went over running backs instead of top five. Well, let's create a top five of this team right now. Um, we know how important it is that we need to have the core of this team, whatever that looks like, six, seven players coming back next year. We can't have another rebuild going into year three. So if I said, who is that core? I don't know necessarily that's just as simple as saying, here's our starting five. It needs to be these five. Who do you feel needs to be that five, six, seven guys that we absolutely need to have back? We're going to be adding on Bryce McGowan's and Breidenbach. So we're bringing in other guys around them. You know, what's that core have to look like, do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a good way to look at it um, because I do feel like some continuity um, from this year to next year is going to be important. We didn't get a lot of that last year. Um, and I, I've heard a lot of people talk about Teddy Allen and say, "Oh, he maybe's not a good fit for the Hoiberg offense," and you know, he, he's um, not always the most most athletic, et cetera. I I call BS and all of that. I mean, I would take Teddy Allen any any day because he's a gamer. He he wants to win. He plays hard. Yeah, maybe he's not a perfect teammate at all times, but I mean, he looked great tonight. Not only did he score 41 points, I, I he had eight rebounds, six assists. I think those were near career highs as well. Um, that's what he can do when he's shooting well. And he just creates shots and he, he creates opportunities for others. We saw opportunities for Thor and Derek Walker tonight because a lot of attention was being thrown on, on the second half. So I, I started saying, yes, bring back Teddy Allen. I think uh, Trey McGowan's was also a no brainer, extremely talented, extremely athletic. Can jump out of the gym. Um, uh, he's probably one of the more maddening uh, players. Sometimes this this whole like like reverse stop. I'm going to get a a defensive penalty by someone running into me type move. He's done so many times. He got called on it tonight. Uh, it drives me crazy. But uh, I'd, I'd start with those two right off the bat.
2: Yeah, and I think Walker. Um, we he might be our best passer on the team. And uh, I really like when Walker's out there. He's played well against bigger competition in terms of getting rebounds. We struggled tonight against their big guy, you know, he, who I guess was leading the conference in offensive rebounds or was one of the leaders in it. And he certainly showed up again tonight. And a lot of that's effort. You know, geez, I think Thor boxed him out one time and got the rebound from him. So it's not just about getting big guys on there. Some of this is just effort. But Walker has done a really good job I think in that, and I really like what Andre looks like. He's building into. So, Dave, I mean, two of the guys that we hear on social media a lot, and you know, get some brunt sometimes are Ivan and Banton. Do you see them fitting in this style? Are they struggling, and and they can just give them an off season? And they'll be great players in this, or is this really, you know, they're just kind of out of place?
1: No, it's a good question. I mean, I think Ivan, uh, I I just don't know. You can't teach explosiveness and um, he isn't explosive enough at his, his height, that 6'8", six, 6'9", six, height to uh, deliver everything you want out of that, that position. But I think he he still might have a role on this team. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not, not going to be starting next year, for example, but I think he still has a role on the team. If he just got better at free throw shooting, he'd score a couple more points a game, right? So, I mean, that's... That's something he could work on, right? That, that can be fixed. Um, Delano Bannon is an interesting question, though. Um, you know, I think he was clearly brought in. He was one of the very early signees of uh, the Horberg era. And a four-star guy out of Toronto went to Western Kentucky, which is, you feel like, a little low for a, a four-star. Um, mm-hmm. He obviously wanted to move up uh, into a Power Five position, as a point guard, though he he doesn't shoot well enough, and he's not handling the ball well enough um, to justify that role right now. I mean, that could change, but I think you know if he's not a point guard, then it's tough to figure out the right role for him in this offense because he's not a shooter, mm-hmm. and he's not going to play a more traditional three or four role. So uh, it's interesting to see where where um, Banton goes.
2: Yeah, as the game was getting down, you know, to the to the final minutes and it was clutch time. You know, that's when you're playing your your top five guys, and we didn't have our top five starters out there. You know, Lat Mayan and Banton weren't on the court a lot of that end of the game. So I don't know. If, I don't want to read too much into that, but should we read too much into that, Dave?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't read too much into it yet. I would like to see what's going to happen over the next four or five games. Um, Thor was on the on the court a lot more tonight. Thor's had games mm-hmm. where we've barely seen him. Yep. So I'm I'm not quite for certain on on what that means, but I will tell you that I felt like I thought at times the offense looked better with uh, Trey McGowan's running point, even though he's not a true point guard either. Probably um, than what 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 um, Banton has done at times this year. So
2: yeah, and McGowan was out there quite a bit too with with Webster, and he yeah. seems to play better alongside him again than, than Banton. It's just, it's interesting. I don't, I'm not smart enough with basketball to know the answers of this. I just know that there just seems to be, there's completely different styles of play that seem to happen when we take one guy out and put the next guy in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And regardless of that, I mean, you know, Boomer, you have to give this team a lot of credit for the level of intensity um, of play that they're still putting out there. I mean, they're, they're not playing for a lot, Maybe they're playing for positions. To Hockey's point, like who are mm-hmm. the top five, six guys you definitely want to see back next year? Uh, you know, this is a chance for them to to make a mark and and stay in the program. But the um, level of, of play is still really high.
0: Yeah, I mean, given what they've been asked to do with this, especially the second half of the season with with the shutdowns from COVID, just really kind of hurting development of the of the team and getting them to mesh together. Then the Big Ten coming out basically asking them to seemingly play every other day. It, it would have been really easy to throw in the towel in a lot of these games and just call it quits and you know lose by 37 or something every night but they're still fighting and gush again it's, it sounds so much like football if they could just fix some of these it does some of these it? things they might not be an NCAA tournament team but geez you know they could have three four or five wins under their belt a little more yeah. readily you know, than they do it's just things are there there's there's elements there it's just Things have to be tightened up. So I'm.
2: yeah, Nebraska. Right now, we're charging towards the bottom of the barrel nationally in free throw percentage. We're hitting it was sixty two point four four percent to rank three hundred and thirty first out of three hundred and forty teams. Now that was heading into today. I'm not sure how exactly those numbers change, but Hoiberg was asked about that. Uh, and the approach that they do to the shooting moves and he goes, I'd like to challenge anyone to say they shoot more than we do in practice. That's our practice right now, shooting, finishing, trying to get a rhythm going where we can knock down those looks when they present themselves. So, I, again, you know, the, the effort's there. I'm not concerned about the effort, but it, it's, at some point it kind of has to start to show up, right? And it just hasn't yet. Maybe we should
0: take the George Costanza coaching approach and do the exact opposite and don't practice
2: shooting. <laughs> You know, Hoiberg has talked about, you know, that horrible schedule that the Big Ten's given them. He actually has said it's not been that terrible for us that we – we need to play games. And and at the point that we are in our transition, that these games, it's good for us to play a bunch. Maybe not exactly the number they've given us, but he's not complaining about that. And he also, when it gets compared to Michigan, who's had COVID issues and then isn't playing the same rigorous schedule, he's like, well, they don't need to. And they're going to be just fine. They're going to make it to the tournament and be a top seed without playing all those extra games. But for us, it's something that ideally hopefully it should make us better in the long run that we're playing these games so that again that's our practice too is just getting out there and, and running and playing I am proud of the guys I mean look they've went through a lot and they're also we forget too they're coming back from COVID it's not just that they were off for a month a lot of these guys had it so I mean you're getting your your lungs and everything back from them I mean I anyone who's had it you know they talk about it, it doesn't just go away the second that you're you no longer have it. I mean, you, you still can have lingering effects. So, I mean, again, I give a lot of credit to every one of those guys on that team. But uh, it's it's tough to watch. And so is the life of a, of a Nebraska ball fan.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. It just doesn't change. Hey, volleyball beat Minnesota on Sunday. Let's take that, right?
2: That's right. That All was right. going to be one of my parting shots there, Dave. So.
1: Uh, well, I'm sure you can um, uh, bring that back. Uh, speaking of parting shots, are we Ready? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's get out of here. Uh, let's bring up Mac. I haven't heard of him in a while.
3: Yeah, not too much to say on the basketball front. I get all my misery out with football. It's nice to have a <laughs> off-season and watch basketball do the exact same thing. But um, <laughs> I don't have much to say. We're kind of in the, in the lulls of the off-season. I hope everybody's uh, off-season workouts are going well. I've kind of... Gone through a little gaining phase, not muscle, <laughs> but some kind of gaining phase. I'm looking to bounce back, though. Um, I'll keep you updated as the as the results are positive. If you don't hear me and then you know how it's going. Hey, Mac, <laughs> two, two weeks
2: from now, uh, we're interviewing uh, Brett Ciancia, Pick 6 Previews, so that'll be some fun. I should be down five pounds by then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, boomer.
0: Well, I just wanted to uh, give one last little uh, old push for Johnny Benner to all our listeners out there. You can go ahead and flood uh, Honky's Twitter account and uh, email on that. And just I uh, would like to remind them that after that 1902 uh, victory over Minnesota, they had a boisterous parade downtown, and uh, including building a gigantic bonfire in the middle of the football field and uh, liberating a cannon from the uh, state capitol grounds and, and firing that off repeatedly. So let's see if our modern uh, running backs be able to stake that claim.
1: Now that's, that's hard to talk, be yeah, honest with you. All right,
2: honk. I'm going to start a little bit with a somber note here. Uh, our continued prayers go out to Andy Hoffman and his family. Team Jack is is important to our to us. That's an important cause. And Andy recently had a cough that turned out to be COVID nineteen himself, and it's delayed his chemo treatments and some other appointments. And uh, I mean, I'll tell you, if there's ever a family that 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 needs some of that good fortune and everything, what they've gone through, you know, just continued prayers from Redcast Nation to you guys. Um, on lighter note, uh, KRNU. Uh, happy fiftieth anniversary today to KRNU. Our very own Redcast Dave uh, is a former uh, voice on what night is ninety point
1: three.
0: Can tell you are a regular listener, hockey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rick Alloway, Professor Rick Alloway uh, is the director of KRNU and a big influence on many of the broadcast journalism students um, at the University of Nebraska.
0: He wasn't the voice of the enrolled system, was he? Yes, that was his voice. That still haunts my nightmares.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we retweeted his tweet today about, you know, wishing Karen you a happy 51st. And uh, it's just so funny because we were just talking about just the other day uh, Daft Punk. Is that who? Yes.
0: Hockey's up on his uh, French electric bands. Is that bands.
2: N-I-X-S?
3: Why is it Daft that?
2: Punk
1: or is it Daft Punk? I don't know.
2: <laughs> Anyways, apparently they're an old band that is retiring, and I've just heard of them for the first time. But Dave, some guy used to call you up all the time. and
1: Yeah, like, I, I had my standard, like I think it was Tuesday night show, and um, I'd always try to get uh, some requests in to make it more entertaining. Boomer would be nice enough to call and request The Clash probably or something like that. Um, I'd always play a U two song, you know, from the you know, early collection. And there was this one caller, I don't know, I can't remember his name, but he would request Daft Punk every single Tuesday night. Guaranteed. And it was the I mean, Around the World is the most repetitive song possible. And we would just he would just it was just Round the World just over and over again. And um
0: And it's a lengthy song too, Dave, if I Yeah, remember. oh yeah. <laughs> I think it was the extended he seven eight minutes, request.
1: Yeah. It was like eleven yeah. minutes. So uh, I had a nice time. I could probably eat a, you know, a sandwich or something from the union or whatever. But yeah, yep, Daft Punk.
2: Oh, nice. Well, and my last uh, bit is on volleyball, just in general. And we mentioned them a little bit earlier. They had a tough loss to Minnesota on Friday night and came back and boom, one, two, three sweep. And that's what championship teams do. I mean, you take a little adversity, you come back and you give it back to them the two days later. And part of that was the toughness of Nicklin Hames and anyone that saw the video in the third set, she took a spike to the face. I mean, this is, it would have knocked any one of us out. And she, she sat there on the ground for a second. The team comes to to help her out. I mean, everyone's assuming she's going to the sideline. She stays in there and uh, gets the set for the next spike and, and we get the point. And it was just, it was so cool to see that's leadership right there on the court and, and uh, it's something that John Cook has instilled in that team, obviously. Um, our very own Hale Varsity, they they mentioned that this is the first time in the volleyball poll since the poll's creation in 1982 that the Stanford Cardinal is unranked. And what that means is Nebraska is now the only program that has appeared in all 564 volleyball polls since the start. So I, I, that's an amazing stat and uh, what an amazing program there. So, um, my last thing is, speaking of, of all that, the NCAA is going to allow 25% capacity. Uh, they just announced today for its 2021 Winter Championships. And, of course, Omaha is going to be hosting volleyball, so 25% capacity at the CenturyLink or at the CHI Health – whatever it is, the Quest Center. CHI the, Health Center, <laughs> yes. The CHI Quest uh, CenturyLink Center is is going <laughs> to be
3: 25%. Brought to you by the Joey Gregcaster.
2: <laughs> um... Brought to you by the Omaha Civic Auditorium. I don't Even know. <laughs> after I
3: still want
1: a honky's uh, parting shots, he can still go five minutes. The man is a treasure.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you stole one, Dave. We'd been another seven. So.
1: <laughs> Maybe you could uh, put Daft
0: Punk on him. We could just walk away while he talks. So, that's you
1: know. true.
3: That's true. Him and Daft Punk, they go around the world. You're like the meatloaf of parting shots, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hey, see. I have to edit this.
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> All right, guys, let's call that a go big red cast. Go big red <laughs> GBR A Huda Media
2: Production.